The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. If you don't have an outline, um, it looks like this. It's got like green and blue highlights on it. If you need one, why don't you raise your hand? My son's got a few. He's got one or two there. I've got one or two. Does anybody need one? All right, everybody's got one. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, Let me just share this with you just to start out. God is on the move today. I'm going to encourage you with that. God is doing some amazing things locally, nationally, and globally Just recently, I heard where many in China are coming to know Jesus. That would be obviously on a global scale where people are are flocking to know what hope is. And so they're finding hope in Jesus. And then I just want to tell you a little bit about locally what I've experienced in recent days. I was at a church about two months ago. I'm preaching mostly. I was talking with Tom earlier. I'm preaching most every week. But um, occasionally I'll get to go and visit different churches that I've helped to start through the years. And I was at a church about three months ago, four months ago in uh, Johnson City, Illinois. And while I was there, they baptized eight people. And there was a spirit of revival there, John. It was incredible. It was beautiful. The presence of the Lord was in that place. It was even hard to preach, to be honest with you. The overwhelming nature of the spirit of the Lord was, was not just upon me, but in the, in the, in the, in the place. And, and at the end of the service, they have a call forward kind of invitation. And it's uh, um, uh, it, uh, just a fantastic, fantastic outpouring of the Lord upon people who knew Jesus. And, um, and then six people who didn't know Christ. And so Pastor Robbie Smith um, Charles, it was Robbie, he called me up and said, hey, six more people were saved today. And they had seen multiple, multiple people come to know Jesus just in a short period of, of, of about three months. I could also tell you of uh, Derek Taylor at the Net Church in Staunton. Same kind of thing. While I was there just about a month ago, I remember at the end of the service, they had a call for an invitation as well. And a 75-year-old man that so many people in the church had been praying for had come to know Jesus just that morning morning before the service ever began someone led them to Jesus and he stepped forward and it was just a beautiful beautiful celebration I want you to know friends that God is on the move and I know that darkness can press in around us I know that in the secular culture in which we live sometimes we can actually think to ourselves is God really doing anything in this day because it's a difficult day in which we live but I want you to know that the the light shines brighter the darker it gets and I want you to know this that there is a hope beyond compare just as John has already spoken so Take joy in the fact that you have the hope of the world in your heart. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, then I would encourage you to take just one more step closer to him today as you hear his word proclaimed and as his spirit speaks to your heart. God is on the move. He is a missionary God and he is looking for you. I want you to know that. He is searching for you. He is looking for you. And so I pray that you may be found today. Jesus is risen. Look at the top of your outline, if you will. The title is this, Jesus is risen, hope is alive, and the gospel advances. Jesus is risen, hope is alive, the gospel advances. In the city of Hanover, Germany. Now, I've never been there, 
But I hear that it is told, true story, in a graveyard which has been closed for a number of years, um, the, the garden churchyard. As a matter of fact, I was going to show this picture, um, and, and don't Google it now, but Google it a little bit later after you get out of church, right? Um, and, and, and you can see what I'm getting ready to describe to you. And this, um, this graveyard, owing to its antiquated monuments, and I want to just quote here, the fact of being the resting place of a number of celebrated characters, and uh, those who would be German would recognize some of who they are. It awakens the liveliest curiosity. A few paces east of the unassuming little church, in the graveyard is a monument tottering from its foundation. A monument, a large monument, 10 to 12 feet tall, tottering from its foundation. It is built in the form of steps, and the massive stones are secured to one another by heavy iron clasps, which with locks on the clasps. The monument, monument was erected in the year 1782. And besides the usual family inscriptions that you would see there in the graveyard, at the base of one of the monuments is engraved these arrogant lines. These arrogant lines. This sepulcher, purchased for all eternity, is not permitted to be opened. And that's what's on the bottom of the sepulcher in Hanover, Germany, Germany at the Garden Churchyard. Well, opposed to this rather arrogant statement by man, a beech seed, perhaps carried by the wind, found its way into a crevice of the foundation. And in the years, the course of the years, this little seed in the crevice of the bottom foundation started growing larger and larger, stronger and stronger into a luxuriant tree. And now this tree mocks the very inscription at the bottom of the sepulcher. For this beech tree has broken the strong iron clasp asunder. And not only that, but the grave has been exposed. Exposed. And it reminds the visitor of the uncertainty of earthly scenes and the fallacy of man's resolution to project plans that last all eternity. Only God speaks plans for all eternity. And we're going to read about that a bit today. Actually, we've already heard, Meredith has already shared with us. But I want to cover through just a few of those verses as we move forward. Look on your outline, if you will. I like to have a, the main imperative. Um, some expository preachers call it the big idea. And, and so I've just copied them. And, and here's the big idea from the text that Meredith read and that we're going to exegete today. We have hope because Jesus arose from the grave. Therefore... Believers must go and tell the good news that Jesus is alive. We have hope because Jesus arose from the grave. Therefore, believers must go and tell the good news that Jesus is alive. I know that your pastor preached through Mark 15 in the last few weeks. And so I just want to recount Mark 15 just briefly to bring you up to speed of Mark 16, which we're going to be covering today. In Mark 15, Jesus is delivered to Pilate. Pilate then delivers Jesus to be crucified. Jesus is mocked and scorned and made to carry his own cross. He is then crucified on the cross he is made to carry, along with two criminals, one on either side. Jesus dies, 
and then he is buried. And that brings us to today's text. Jesus is in the grave. Jesus has hung on the cross. He has died there. The father has, um, the father has had to turn away from his own son because the sins of the world were placed upon his back. And so that's where we find ourselves today. And so if you will, just look at verses 1 and 2 with me. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, bought spices, and they had bought them already. They bought them and then they brought them so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the next day, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. On your outline, number one is this, Jesus has risen. One day a grandson asked his grandmother why she had so many wrinkles on her hands. And she responded to her grandson. She said, well, I'm old. Do you know what happens when you get old? He asked. She asked and he said, yeah, you die and they bury you in the ground. But before she could say anything else, the little boy, the grandson added, he said, but that's okay because God, because God comes and unburies you. Because God comes and unburies you. It sounds like that little boy had a pretty good theology. He understood what Jesus could do in the life of a believer. These women that we read about in the first couple of verses were displaying, and fill this in, costly devotion. Costly devotion. It was an extraordinary kind of love. And by the way, let me just say this, that these three women were also found at the crucifixion. And so they were found while Jesus was dying, while he was being crucified, and they're found after he's been buried. They were devoted. They had an extraordinary love for Jesus. Joseph had used spices in wrapping the body of Jesus in layers of linen cloth, and so he had already he had already um, anointed Christ, if you will, so to speak, with um, embalming him is, is the word I'm trying to think of. And so the purpose of the spices being brought to the tomb of Jesus was not necessarily to embalm Jesus again, not so much for doing that again, but for the expression of devotion to someone after death. And so they didn't bring spices. They didn't buy the spices and then bring them to the tomb in order to embalm Jesus all over again. No, no, no. What they did was to come to show him devotion. They purchased the spices Saturday after the Sabbath was over. And then they brought them in the early hours on Sunday morning to the tomb. And by what the text teaches us, they expected to find a limp body. They expected to find someone who was dead. They expected to find their beloved Jesus lying dead in a grave. That leads us to number two. Fill this out, or B, if you will, under number one. Not only was their devotion costly, it was committed. If you'll notice, the Bible teaches committed devotion, but it, the Bible teaches us, and very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun has, had risen. Now, I want you to know that the sun was up at the point in time where these ladies approached the tomb, but they had to leave when it was dark. The journey that they had to walk meant that they were up walking way before dawn, way before the sun was up. And so they were expressing not only 
costly devotion or extraordinary love, but they expressed their love through committed devotion. And by the way, I read a theologian, um, several different commentaries that didn't name the theologian, but I give credit to him. Um, He says this was a heroic act on behalf of these women. And the reason why he gave, actually two, he says, because Jesus was put to death by Roman authorities as a political rebel. There was no love lost for those who followed after Christ. These these women took a chance just to be there. And not only that, but Jesus was hated by the Jewish nation too. And so... The commentator says it was a heroic heroic act for these three women to be not only at the crucifixion, but at the grave after his death as well. And so here's an application. By the way, I learned many, many times over from my professors in seminary, um, theology is always practical. Theology is always practical. And so what, what do we mean by that? There should be application to anything that we learn. And so here's a takeaway. Here's an application. Here's an implication. Our love for Christ sometimes must be expressed in sacrificial living. John has spoken about that earlier today. He invited you to share your faith. He invited you to give. I'm so thankful to be asked to come at the, the kickoff. I believe you're calling this the, your, your global missions kickoff. And so I'm honored to be able to speak on, on the resurrection of Christ, and, and not only the resurrection of Christ, but after his, uh, after his uh, resurrection, that what we must do with this knowledge, what we must do with the understanding that Christ is no longer dead. And we must go and tell, and we'll get there in just a moment. Verse 3 says this, Even though they had no idea how they would gain access to his body, their devotion drove them to be near him. Look at verse 3, and let's read it again. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? As these three women... Now think about this, right? It's a dangerous act for them to get up early in the morning... They had to wait till late the night before to purchase the spices, not to embalm him, for he was already embalmed. They were simply going to show devotion to him with the spices. And so they had to purchase them, and they weren't cheap in those days. They were expensive, like an expensive bottle of perfume would be today. And so they had to give out a good amount for the spices. And then they had to sleep very little in order to get up early the next day so that they could be at the tomb at dawn. And not only that, they had no idea how they were going to even see Jesus. The scripture tells us they were wondering to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? And even though they had no idea how they would gain access to his body, their devotion drove them to be near to him. Their devotion drove them to be near to him. And I love throughout the Gospel of Mark and in several other places in the Scripture how we see the devotion of women. When the men had scattered, the women stayed. And the devotion that they had, even though they had no idea how they were going to get in. Let me ask you this question. How much does it take to deter your devotion to Christ? How much does it take to deter your devotion to Christ? They didn't have any idea how they were going to get in. 
They didn't have any idea how they were going to lay the spices and devote them to him and anoint his body in worship. They had no idea how, uh, what kind of dangers that the, the way would be fraught with in order to get to the tomb. They went anyway. And so I ask you, how much does it take to deter your devotion to Christ? Unfortunately, if I were to be honest with you, it doesn't take very little at certain points in my life. And sometimes I could brag on the Spirit of the living God, how He, how he comes and He leads me, and I would say, oh, it takes a lot. And it depends on how close I am to Him in that moment. And with that thought, I want to read to you just a, a quote that I was reading in my devotions this past week, and it was uh, a beauty to me and also very, very intriguing, but at the same time, um, I was shot through the heart when I read this. This is from Letters to the Thirsty by Edward Miller. He says this, the only measurable difference in the spiritual development between Christians is the intensity of their seeking. He says, The only measurable difference in the spiritual development between Christians is the intensity of their seeking. Mm. This is the piercing part. Those who, mm, excuse me, those who know him the, the best seek him the most. John, those who know him the best, seek him the most. The joy with which we find him in the seeking, in the searching, knowing he will be found. And I encourage you, I beseech you to pursue him. With all you have, A.W. Tozer wrote a great book, The Pursuit of God. I would encourage you, it's the top ten books in history. If you've never read it, get a copy of it. It's even free online. Get it on your Kindle or your uh, whatever it is that you read. Get a copy of Tozer's book and start reading it, The Pursuit of God. And chase after him with everything you have. And don't let an excuse be that you haven't chased after him heretofore. Start today. Start today. Make a good decision today. It's never too too late to make a good decision as long as you draw breath in this life. And so what I would encourage you to do is start to chase after him. Devote your life to him. Pursue him with every fiber of your being. That's what these ladies were doing. Even though she had a dead son, even though he was a dead relative or a dead friend, they were still chasing after him to give to him honor and devotion. Not even really knowing if they were going to be able to see him physically. Let me finish reading out just one more phrase or two. The author says, I pray that my comments on seeking the Lord will assist you in your heart's passion to please him. I pray that my comments on seeking the Lord will assist your heart in your heart's will assist you in your heart's passion to please him. Seeking the Lord is always the heart's response to the Lord's seeking of us. Isn't that good? Seeking the Lord is always the heart's response to the Lord's seeking of us. Let me tell you, he makes the first move. He's the pursuer. 
I believe that with all my heart. I don't respond to him without him lavishing his grace upon me. He woos me to him, and I respond to his love and his mercy and his grace. And let me just tell you something. He's calling you. He has arisen from the grave to honor and glorify his Father and to save you. And if you know him, tell others. If you don't know him, take a step closer today in faith. Maybe cross the threshold, the line of faith today, repenting of your sin and by faith believing in Christ. Not just a mental assent, but a heartfelt belief where you give him your life. You make him your Lord. And thereby he becomes your Savior because you make him your Lord. And one day every knee is going to bow. Why not bow today? One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You need to do it now. And if you've already done that, if you've already done that, will you reveal Jesus to others? Will you crucify self in order for others to see Jesus? In you. I'll tell you what, that's what the world needs today. They need to see Christ. They need to see him. These women would journey to his tomb even if they couldn't get in, all because they wanted to get closer, just a bit closer to Jesus, just a little closer to Jesus. And I'll say it again, they wanted to get closer to Jesus. I see in this text that nothing was going to stop them from honoring him. They were going to find a way i got to tell you, that's some boldness from three women. Ladies in this place, I pray that you have that kind of boldness. I know we've got all kind of women's movements going on today in the secular culture, and I'm not going to weigh in on those. Some are good, some are not so good. But let me say this, there's a better movement. There's this movement to devote your life to the Savior of the world. And ladies, I pray that you would have the kind of boldness that the two Marys and Salome had at the crucifixion. And as they chased after Jesus after he had died. Let's move on to number two. Hope is alive. Hope is alive. True story. I was reading. And I'll just share it from memory. Isaac, would you just get me some water, buddy? Thank you, sir. Um, there is a, a hospice nurse who had spent many, many years in, um, in a hospital. And she was retiring and she was handing off her duties to another, uh, to another worker, another minister, if you will. And um, he came to her and he said, could you just tell me the differences in how different people die? And so he asked her about those who um, would have no faith at all. And then he asked her about different kinds of um, different kinds of religions, if you will. And I'm not going to go through everything that the illustration said, but I do want to cover Christianity. And he said to her, he said, thank you, bud. Have you noticed a difference in how Christians die? And she said, oh, yes. She said, oh, yes. She said, for most of them are joyful. And he said, why is that? And she said, because they know it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. And these three women came to the grave expecting to find a limp Jesus. And what they found was something totally different over the next few verses we're going to see some amazing discoveries let me take a drink and we'll jump in hope is alive and they will find that to be true verse four and looking up they saw the stone had been rolled back and it was very very large now i want you to understand that the stone had been rolled away that's amazing discovery number one but it wasn't for jesus to get out now think about that. 
Why, why, did, why would Jesus need to have the stone rolled away to get out? He didn't need the stone rolled away to get out, but it was for all the world to look in. It was for all of the world to look in and understand at that very moment that this large stone was rolled away. There is a new kingdom which has invaded earth whose kingdom reigns now, baby. Whose kingdom reigns now, right? I have overcome death, hell, and the grave. And I didn't have to roll the, roll the stone away to get out. I rolled it away, or my angel did, for you to be able to look in and know there's a new sheriff in town. I want you to know I have risen. There's a new kingdom that's come to the earth, and it is a kingdom in which you can be a part of. Listen. My friend, as these women looked in, they saw that Jesus was not there. They saw something else. They, they saw that a new day had dawned. They saw that death had lost. They also saw a young man dressed in white. Let's read verses 5 and 6. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. They were alarmed. They were, I mean, here's an angel, angelic figure, huh? And they were afraid. And, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Well, he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And so amazing discovery number two, if you're writing and filling that in, is that this angelic young man dressed in white tells the women good news that Jesus is alive, and he proves it. He proves it. He says to the ladies, look, look, he is not here. James Edwards, a great theologian um, from a Crucified One booklet that I have, James Edwards says, the response of the angel can be taken as a mild rebuke, possibly. The women intent on their, on their funeral errand are preoccupied with death. They endeavor with their spices and to bring some kind of closure, however inadequate it might be, to a tragic drama. But all their preparations leave them unprepared for the reality of their encounter. And what they intend to be a terminal visit is but a commencement for action. Don't you like that? What, they, what, they, what they, they came for was a terminal visit. We're going to anoint his body and show him devotion, and it's all over. It's all done with. And, and James Edwards says, no, 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 no. That's not what they found. A terminal visit has turned into a commencement for action. The Jesus they are looking for, enshrined in a safe place, cannot be found. No, no. You know why? Because he was on the move. God was on the move. There's a movie, Aslan is on the move, right? I love that movie. What's that? Um, I love the movie and it just left me. Help me, help me, help me. The line, there you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So he's on the move. And the Aslan, obviously the lion, he was the Jesus figure in the movie. I want you to know, he was already on the move and they didn't find him there because he was alive. The visit to the tomb is vis, vit, vintage Markan irony. All right, and I'm quoting from somebody who I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here, and here, here's the irony: the living are consumed with death, but the crucified one is consumed with life. 
Oh, isn't that good? There can be an amen. If you can't tell, I'm from East Tennessee. Got a little south in me. So it's all right to hoot a little bit if you believe. Don't hoot me. Hoot the truth. It's all right. Listen, I want you to know they were consumed with death when they came to the tomb. But what they found is that the one who was dead was not dead anymore. He was alive. He is not here. He is risen. And that is good news. I love what Edward says here. He says, he says, their terminal visit is but a commencement for action. I just want to give you a few takeaways here. Takeaway number one, Jesus is always the initiator. He's always the initiator. Lawson says, the resurrection of Jesus validates the perfection of his sacrifice for our sins. It completes the mission of redemption and provides a just basis for forgiveness of our sins. God accepts the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the grave to cover your sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. God the Father accepts his son's sacrifice and resurrection. And that's such good news. That is good news. It's good news for a world in which we live that needs good news. The resurrection proves that the Father accepted Jesus' payment in full. That's called propitiation. My father taught me that word on a flowery 70s red couch when I was just a little boy. He said, I want you to know what propitiation means. It means God is pleased with the Son. He accepts what the Son did. In order to bring justice and righteousness to a lost humanity, a lost race. And Jesus did it. He did it. And now humanity can be made one with God because Jesus joins our hands together, the hand of the divine and the hand of humanity. And he puts them together and holds them together, which will never be separated. The resurrection authenticates the claims of Christ. The resurrection guarantees that God is sovereign over all of men's affairs and all of history. Listen, if Jesus had not risen from the grave, we're just wasting our time here today. But he is alive. And there is hope for all of the world. Jesus had triumphed over death and sin and even the evil one. And by the way, friends, I just want you to know, I believe in an aggressive gospel. I agree, I, I believe in a gospel that moves forward and doesn't give ground but takes ground. We do not have to be afraid of the evil one. He is a defeated foe. And we don't approach him in our own strength, but in the power of the resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit leading and guiding our lives. We need not be afraid of anything. An aggressive gospel. Someone on the radio said, a masculine gospel that advances. And I don't know if you remember this old hymn. Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war. And that's what it is in this world. That's what it is. I want you to know there's an evil one who will come against us, but he is a defeated foe, and you need not fear. That's for another day and another hour. Let's move forward. The resurrection guarantees that there will be a real final judgment because God has raised the judge, capital J, from the dead. And the greatest message for every believer and every person without Christ is that Jesus has risen. And for the person without Christ, they have hope. They have hope. 
for those of us who know Christ, that we are safe and secure in his arms and living for the king every day. And so in the Gospels, we can see we can see all of these results, but I think I see one that is repeated over in the Gospels, and it is one that I want to focus on as we close out. One result of the resurrection that I see over and again, Matthew 28, Mark 16, is always a call for action. There's always a call for action. Not long ago, I was at a conference, and I heard, um, I'm trying to remember his name. I'm getting older every day, and I fail to remember his name. But I stand on the shoulders of giants when I say this. He said, all theology is practical. In other words, if you just have a lot of knowledge about God and who he is, but you never act on it, I mean, who really does it do any good? But because we have knowledge and we believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, what are we going to do with it? We must do something with it. There's always a command to go and tell. Look in verse 15 and 16 in Mark 16. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Look back at um, verse 7 and 8, and then we'll move on. 7 and 8, I'm sorry. But go tell his disciples. So immediately when the women found out that he was alive... The angel said, go and tell someone. And the first ones were the disciples. And Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. See, Jesus is going before them. He's arisen from the grave. They didn't know that had happened until they got there. Not only that, but they didn't know that they were going to go tell other people. Not only that, they didn't know that he was going to, who? Jesus was going to be in Galilee. And there you're going to see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, trembling and in astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were very afraid. They were very afraid. Verse 15 and 16. And he said to them, Jesus, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So here is the call to action. We must go. We must go. Listen, friends. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. And just a personal confession. When I find myself not going, not telling, most of the time what has happened is I've become myopic and my eyes have focused again on myself, either through simple drifting, just simple default it has occurred, or maybe it's an actual willful decision to participate in some sinful act. And what I've done is please the flesh instead of please the God who died for me and arose from the grave. And I focus upon myself again rather than on others. But when I crucify the flesh, mortify the flesh on a regular daily, even a daily basis, take up your cross daily and follow me, what happens is his spirit leads me and the flesh goes to the background and and Jesus starts to be seen and and then you can have an effect on people around you in the last several months just since since I've moved here God has said I I want you to focus and refocus efforts on sharing Christ on a much more regular basis and so I have a list that I can tell you now of men and women that I am developing a relationship with and caring for and serving 
so that they can come to know Jesus ultimately. And what I do through gospel saturation is we, we pray for them and then we care for them or serve them and then we share the gospel and then we hopefully they'll give us an opportunity to disciple them and then send them out once again. Pray, care, share. It's, it's a progression. I've got a friend, his name is Doug Morrow, and he, uh, he said so many times what we do is drive by evangelism, right? We just kind of drive by and shoot the gospel gun at whoever you know, gets hit. Um, why not have a progression? Why not have a plan? Why not have a process? And maybe you already do. I think I heard John allude to it somewhat just a moment ago, but start to pray for people around you. And I'll tell you, it'll take your eyes off yourself when you pray for others. And then find a way to serve them. I got on eBay and I ordered a little electronic device. It's a Bluetooth device that turns, it turns like regular headphones into Bluetooth headphones. And it was like $2.20 and, 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 and Gunner at my workout place. That's a cool name, by the way, Gunner. He's like 25 years old and good-looking dude. He said, man, I really like that. He said, what is it? He said, he really liked it after I told him what it was. And he said, I really like that because I got some headphones that sound good. And, and I'm like, Gunner, just let me, let me buy one for you. And he said, you'd do that? And I said, sure I would. And I said, it's only three bucks. I said, it's coming from China. It may be Christmas by the time it gets here, but it'll be Christmas present. What do you think? He said, that's pretty cool. And so I, I just, I just want to share with you that God has been faithful to remind me to look out for other people, but I've not always been that way. And I'm wondering where you're at now. I'm wondering who you are praying for to come to know Jesus. I'm wondering who you are caring for and even sacrificially giving your life for so that they can know the risen Lord. And if there's not someone that you are, why not ask the Lord today to cross your path or remind you of someone that you rub elbows with on a regular basis that you could start just to pour your life into them and let them know that they are loved by not only you, but someone who is alive. Our approach to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot be one of casual worship or casual knowledge. Our reaction to the resurrection of Jesus cannot be casual. Not after what he did for us. There are steps of action to be taken. Because Jesus has arisen, hope is alive, and we must go. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, which is the equivalent of Mark 16, 15, and 16, says this. And you've heard it before. It's the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you know only about 7% of Christ's followers ever open their mouth to a lost person with the gospel? That's, uh, that's based upon research, about 7%. That's 7 out of 100 people. I pray to God that your walk with Christ is not necessarily, not necessarily that you have a life with a mission, but that God has a mission with your life. Think about that. It's not necessarily that you have life with a mission, 
No, no, God's already on mission. He's a missionary God. And so God has a mission with a life, your life. And that everything about you is immersed in mission. It's not that mission is a part of what you do. It is who you are. There's a vast difference between mission being something that you do and your life being a mission. I'm telling you, friends, God wants you He wants you looking for opportunities over and over and over again to reveal the good news of the gospel. And I pray that he would encourage you to do so today. And I pray that his Holy Spirit would prick your heart and press you to take up your cross daily. Take your eyes off yourself. Follow him and put your eyes on the masses for whom Jesus wept. And reach out to them with the gospel, locally, nationally, globally. Not life with a mission, but a mission with life. And so, Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, you are sent. You are sent on mission. And it's Christ alone. And it's only Christ who can save. And so, uh, I just want to close out with a phrase or two about our missionary God. Almighty God created us and then we had fallen away from him when we willfully chose to disobey him. Started with Adam and Eve and it's gone down through all humanity. And God knew this from the very beginning and he knew what he was going to do. He had a plan and what his plan was to send his son, his only begotten son, And so he sent Jesus. Jesus responded, yes, yes, I will glorify your command. I will honor you, my Father, by going to the earth, living perfectly, dying on the cross, an innocent life, and then rising from the grave at your command. I will do that for your glory, God. But not only for your glory, but so that man can have hope. And we love humanity. And so I want you to know that Jesus has given us this, this good news so that it will be proclaimed in all of the earth. I pray, I pray that over the next few months, he will work on your heart, work on your heart. Definitely this kickoff, maybe today, is the beginning of something new in your own life to where you'll open your mouth and you'll speak the words of life into people who have no life. I just want to encourage you to do that. Lord Jesus, I call my brothers and sisters to action. I ask you also to speak to those in this room who may not have a relationship with you. Jesus, we pray that you would make yourself very, very real to all of us. For those that do not know you, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go before in their heart and convict them that Jesus is the one, Jesus is the way. Give a witness about how great Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, arisen from the grave. Jesus is the one. Jesus is who you need. Jesus in your life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus brings hope. He is life to those who are dead. And so if there's anyone here today, I pray that by repenting of your sin and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, making him your Lord, thereby he becomes your Savior. I pray you would do that today.
And if you're not well ready to do that today, I pray that you've taken a step closer in faith to him and that you would continue to have the door open in your life for the claims and the person of Jesus. For those of you in this room who know Christ, I think I heard John say a few minutes ago that he wanted, to have, wanted you to have some people on your heart. Maybe four, maybe I'm wrong, but, but I'm going to ask you to have somebody on your heart. Who could you pray for right now? Who could you pray for right now? God, I pray that Gunner would follow you very soon. I pray that Travis would follow you very soon. I pray that Laura would follow you. I pray that Brandon. Can I just, God, can I just ask you to convict our hearts and to break our hearts? Break our hearts. For the people around us who do not have life. May we see them as they really are. And and God drive us to our knees on their behalf. Would you lift up somebody's name right now that God's laying on your heart that doesn't know Jesus? Would you pray for them right now? God, I pray for Mike. Lord, I lift up Lee. I lift up Chris. I think it's okay if if it's appropriate. If you want to say their name, their first name, I think that's appropriate. Would you just say their first name, who you're praying for? Just say it. Who are you praying for? Lord Jesus, help us to give our lives away for your sake, for your gospel, as we're on mission. In your name, amen.